bid you a pleasant good evening. If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. That's uh, where we'll be studying from here in just a few moments. Uh, I would ask your uh, patience as I make a few personal remarks before we uh, begin our study to the elders here. I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to be back. Uh, y'all have always been very kind to me. I've uh, preached in uh, this congregation and other congregations that eventually became part of this congregation uh, for a long time uh, in the Little Rock area. And uh, as I said on Sunday, it's always an honor to be asked to come back. And so uh, I thank you for that. I trust that our uh, efforts this week have been uh, in keeping with your designs for uh, for your meeting. Sometimes we have meetings just as a point of habit, and uh, it's always refreshing to to know that there's some thought that's gone into it and uh, some efforts that are being made, some object that is trying to to be achieved as you uh, study together. And so I hope that our efforts this together uh, are together this week have been uh, profitable to you and your work and in this congregation. Uh, it's been good to be with Jacob and Gavin, get to know them a little bit. Uh, uh, known of Jacob for a long time. We've spent practically no time together, but uh, uh, it's been enjoyable. I, I bid you guys Godspeed in your work and uh, look forward to uh, good things to come from uh, both of you in the years ahead. So, uh, Lord bless you. Uh, to all of you who've been so very kind to me, you've been very hospitable. Uh, some of you folks, we go back a long, long ways uh, in uh, family ties and uh, uh, in worshiping together through the years, uh, some of you have been exceptionally encouraging. Uh, there's a couple of guys here, and I don't know if they just have like mental illnesses or what, that uh, if I'm anywhere up in this part of the world, uh, they show up, and uh, you guys have no idea what an encouragement that is to me. So uh, I thank you for, for your friendship and for your encouragement uh, through the years. Uh, and to the church as a whole, uh, may God bless you. Uh, keep the faith. Do the work. Uh, my uh, in-laws have uh, every year since my kids were little I gathered all the grandkids together for a week in South Alabama. And uh, uh, it's been a great time for my kids to get to be with their, uh, I guess there's 14 cousins. And so they always had a big time. But, but they were always uh, very, very diligent about trying to impress upon them the importance of serving the Lord and for years, what my grandparents or what my in-laws tell their grandkids as everybody is leaving uh, until the next time we're together, their little phrase is, be there. And by that, what they have tried to tell those kids, and I'm indebted to them for telling my kids this, we're all going to be together in heaven. We're going to be there. You be there. And I think that's pretty good advice. And so I would offer that to you guys. Who knows uh, if we'll be together again on this side of eternity. But uh, I'm planning on trying to be there, and and I hope that you will as well. I I do have to mention, uh, it's good to see Alan Finley. Alan and I have been close friends for a long, long time. Uh, And uh, I appreciate him more than I can tell you. It is very rewarding to see people that you've known since you were teenagers who are still faithful to the Lord. Because uh, you just don't see that as much as you ought to see that. And so, uh, thanks, Alan. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. We, we've been talking about uh, the letters that Peter wrote to these Christians that are scattered throughout Asia Minor. We haven't tried to go into all the technical aspects, and I've tried to avoid some of the more difficult questions, which says uh, I'm a lot wiser than I look. Uh, but we have tried to hit on the main things that Peter's trying to get across uh, to these Christians. They're living in a culture 
that, that was probably much worse than ours, but a culture that is not terribly dissimilar from the direction our culture is going. Uh, and so there are things that Peter begins with that he solidifies, and then there are things that he offers as warnings. Uh, in the first letter, uh, as Jacob has already noted this evening, he begins by talking about hope and the hope that we have because God has fathered us again and we're His children and we have expectations because we're a part of the family of God and that that brings responsibilities towards brethren that we love fervently, uh, towards uh, brethren in the sense that we are uh, the house of God, the, the dwelling place of God uh, towards the world and that we are spiritual priests offering up spiritual sacrifices and that we belong to God and we're not like everybody else anymore. And, and, and having built that foundation, he starts talking about things we're going to have to deal with. Uh, things like living under submission uh, when the, uh, the authority over us might not treat us well, be it uh, government or uh, slavery, servitude of some kind, be it the, the home, uh, husband and wife relationship. He goes from there to talk about the potential of suffering and the difficulties that we're going to have because we're different. Uh, we didn't talk about chapter 5, and uh, we could have spent a lot of time. There's some wonderful stuff there. kind of finishes with an admonition to the overseers and to all of us to remember that we are under God, that we're supposed to be humble, that God looks for that in His people. When you get to the second letter, as we talked about last night, he begins in much the same way, only instead of emphasizing so much the relationship that we have with God, he puts great emphasis upon the Word of God. That in God's Word we have the promises that He's given us. In God's Word we have everything that pertains to life and to godliness. That's where our faith uh, is, is centered. And that we're supposed to build on that, add that, as we become godly people. Uh, add to your faith uh, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And I think he starts this way with, with an intent in his mind because... The rest of the letter, the second letter, it really addresses the problem of outside influence. Uh, the, the end of chapter 1 all the way into chapter 2, he talks a lot about false prophets and false teachers that are coming and bracing ourselves. Now I want you to think about that connection between the two. Uh, because we didn't talk about chapter 2. We didn't really make this connection. If you're growing, if you're becoming more godlike, if your focus is upon God's Word, you don't have to worry too much about false teachers. You're going to be ready when they come. But if you're not doing all of those things, then you are susceptible. And you'd best think about that because there's... There are people out teaching in our day and age, and I'm not talking about all the denominations out there and, and you know, all these wild-eyed folks that you see on TV. There will always be people, even among our own brethren, that, are, that will push the envelope about authority and how we are to serve God and things we can do and can't do. And I'm going to tell you, folks, if we are not growing, we are susceptible and so that's where he starts. When he gets to where we are tonight, uh, he, he, he still addresses this kind of concept of outside criticism, but not so much the efforts of false teachers to undermine our faith or our service to God as much as the culture around us that would influence us to lose our confidence in God. Uh, the, the idea of persistence 
And outside criticism, I, I think, almost pervades every New Testament letter. That's what Christians had to deal with in their day. They had to be persistent, and they had to deal with the world around them. And I think that's what you see in this last chapter. So let's read through the chapter. Uh, I'm going to make four observations, which means that this is a semi-scriptural sermon instead of three. Uh, and and, and they, 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 they show themselves, they reveal themselves in the text very orderly way. Nothing that's exceptionally challenging here. So once again, this is an effort to remind us how to live in a culture of doubt. And that's where Peter goes in this particular letter. So, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of His coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then was, uh, that, that then did exist, perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, uh, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. Therefore you, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Wonderful section of Scripture. I want you to notice the four admonitions that, uh, that the Apostle Peter makes to these people as he is drawing this letter to a conclusion. Uh, and if you happen to be reading the Old King James, there may be one or two people who still use the Old King James, uh, this lays itself out very easily. Uh, there are four admonitions and they all begin with B. Okay, And the first one we find at the very beginning of this particular uh, uh, section where, uh, the, where the Apostle Peter says, I want you to be mindful. Now the idea of being mindful simply means not simply to remember, but the idea of keeping something in mind. And I do think this is a challenge for us because we are much distracted by the world around us. Uh, there, there's much in this world that entertains 
There, there's much in this world that captivates. Uh, and, and the discipline of mind to have some degree of focus upon God's Word kind of constantly. It's, it's the idea of having it in the back of your mind all the time. And, and I would ask you to think about that. Is that the way you deal with God's Word? Is it just right there close all the time? I, I believe that's the concept here. I want you to bear in mind, I want you to be mindful, he says, of the words of the prophets and the commandments of the apostles. Okay. Why? Well, ordinarily, what we would do is say, here's a problem, and then here's the solution. Now, Peter kind of goes about this backwards. He says, here's the solution to a problem that's coming. And the solution is, I, I want you to always keep before your thoughts what God has done with the apostles and the prophets, or I should say with the prophets and the apostles. Now, now pay attention to that. What's the difference in your mind between the prophets and the apostles? The chances are pretty good that in our minds, it's Old Testament, New Testament. Does, does that ring with you? Would, would you, you think that way? I recognize they're New Testament prophets, but we don't necessarily think in those terms. When we hear prophet, I mean, it's Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, the minor prophets, the major prophets, Daniel and Jeremiah, and, and that's where our mind goes. And I think that's what Peter is doing. I think he wants us to remember all those teachers from way back. And, and, and there is a reason for such. When people around you question your faith, when people doubt, and that's where our culture's going, uh, you know, the, the, the majority used to be Bible-believing Christians. There's still a lot of people who identify themselves as religious. In fact, a, a huge majority of, of our country, according to polls, believe in God. Uh, and somewhere in the vicinity of 70-some-odd percent of people still consider religion fairly important in their lives. So it's not completely doom and gloom. But what we do see is a trend, and this is especially true in the younger generations, a trend of people who don't believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And while they think religion is, religion is important, for the most part, what, the way that that's being played out in the, in, in the society or in the, in, the, in the generation behind me and some of you, uh, is that uh, people consider themselves spiritual, but not necessarily religious. Which means, okay, I believe that there's something out there on the other side but I'm not sure that it's God, and I really don't believe that it's the Bible, and I really don't think I'm amenable to all of these laws. That's where culture's going. And you young folks that are already in college, or they're going off to college, if you haven't seen that yet, then the chances are you're spending too much time on the pickleball court, okay? Because that's what's happening. And, 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 and in Peter's day, that's what he's anticipating. The problem, and so if you jump ahead right quick, the problem is in verse 3, scoffers are coming, walking after their own lusts, and questioning certain fundamental things about God, like when's He coming back? So how do you deal with people who doubt? Uh, you go to the basis of our trust. And you might say, well, wait a minute, these, these people don't believe in the Bible. Okay. Now we're back to why the prophets become important. If you keep your bookmark there in 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to flip over right quick to, a, to two verses that are close together in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 
First of all, chapter 41, uh, and the verses specifically we're looking at is verse 21 and following. This is in the section of Isaiah where Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is criticizing his people for their idolatry. And, and he is just scathing in his rebuke. It's in this section, uh, a couple of chapters over, where, where he says, look, you, you go out, you cut down a tree, you, you, you take it to a skilled man, he fashions it into God, you take the rest of it, and, and you put it in your cooking fire, and you heat your food over, and you eat, and then you fall down before the piece of wood that you just burn in order to cook your food. And, and basically God's saying, you, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Okay, that, that's, that's how that translates out, folks. So this is that section. And, and God is calling His people to consider why He's God and why the idols aren't. So in chapter 41, beginning verse 19, God says this, "...present your case," says the Lord. "...bring forth your strong reason," says the king of Jacob. "...let them bring forth and show us what will happen." Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things to come. Show us the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or evil, that we may be dismayed and see it all together. Indeed, you are nothing, your work is nothing, and he who chooses you is an abomination. If you go over to chapter 42, there's a, just a, a statement of repetition in verse, uh, in verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Why does Peter put emphasis upon the Old Testament prophets? Because one of the best evidences we have for the credibility of the Bible is Old Testament prophecy. Peter has already touched on this. Had we studied the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, he actually introduces this thought back in chapter 1, that we have the full, more sure word of prophecy. More important, he says, than even my vision when I got to see the Lord transfigured. But, but prophecy is more significant than that. Why? Nobody doubts that Isaiah was written a long time before the New Testament. And I'll hear critics say, well, okay, you know, some of these, some of these prophets, they were, they were just written a couple hundred years before Christ was born. So that just discounts everything. Think about that. If I told you something was going to happen in, in, in the year 20, what is it, 2023, 22-23, and it came to pass, would you go, hey, you, you know, either God's on your side or you're a lot sharper than you look. And that's just 200 years. So, so even liberal critics shoot themselves in the foot by saying, well, it was only a couple hundred years. A couple hundred years is a long time. To predict the future and to see things come to pass in great detail, there are hundreds of fulfilled prophecies just in the life of Christ that you can find predicted sometimes in great detail in the Old Testament. So somebody comes to you and says, well, why should I believe the Bible? Well... No matter what date you want to put on it, most legitimate scholars say probably 700 years or so before Christ. Look at some of the things that Isaiah said and they came to pass. Look at what Daniel says about the kingdom and it came to pass. Look, look, at, look, look at Micah, look at uh, Haggai, look at Malachi, look at Zechariah, look at all of these things. God's naming people, God's offering details about what's going to happen. It's in the Psalms. It's, in the, it, it, it's all over the Old Testament, all the way back to Moses. You want to deal with doubt, you, you roll that argument out. 
And see, see how somebody answers that. Now, we mentioned a couple of nights ago from 1 Peter 3 when we talked about suffering that we always have to be ready to give a defense of our faith. Here's why I believe in God. Let me suggest to you this is one of those things you need to be ready to give a defense about. Because there's just no answer for it. There is no answer for fulfilled prophecy. Not from an honest person. So Peter, if you go back to 2 Peter 3, says, look, when these scoffers come, and it's pretty easy to understand verse 3, 4, and 5. You know, they're going to question everything. Why hasn't the Lord come back again? And what's going to become prominent is, you know, it's been 2,000 years. Uh, or in their case, if they go back, uh, Peter's going to go back to the flood. It's been thousands upon thousands of years. And so the scoffing is, well, we don't believe he's really coming. If he was really going to come, he'd already come. It's been a long time. And, and, and so Peter says, look, I, I want you to remember what God has told you before. He ties that to the commandments of the prophets because, it's, uh, because of the commandments of the apostles because it's through the commandments of the apostles that we hear about the end things that are coming. It's Jesus and, and Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, it's John's vision and revelation. It's the very sundry things we see in the, in the New Testament that really tell us about the Lord coming again. And there's a lot of garbage out there about that. Can, can you answer a premillennialist? Do you realize most religious people in this day and age buy into some kind of idea about... Now, they, they can't explain it very well, but they, there's going to be a rapture. You know, you're going to be going down the, the interstate and all of a sudden there's going to be a car that just goes out of control, which happens all the time anyway. But this time it's going to be because somebody just disappears. God's taken them. And, and that there's going to be some kind of a... Uh, of, a, of a renewed appreciation for Jesus. He's going to come back to the earth. Uh, there's going to be a battle between the forces of evil and the forces of good. And, and, and Jesus is going to win at Armageddon. And there's going to be a thousand year reign. Everything's going to be wonderful and dandy and hunky-dory on the earth. That's what most people believe. Can you answer that? Do you know what the apostles have to say about the second coming of the Lord? I understand there are some things that are hard. Peter's going to acknowledge that before this, before this chapter's over. But the question is, are you able to take the, the words of the apostles and the, and the words spoken by the holy prophets and answer doubt? I mentioned this last night. I'll mention it again. I'm, I'm glad to be a resource for people. That's part of my job as a gospel preacher. But you can't always call the preacher and the elders. And, and i tell you part of the reason why what I've learned in my life, and you can ask Dan, he, he'll tell you the same thing. You know, when people find out you're a preacher, the, their trust level of you goes out the window, you know. They think you're wearing Rolexes and driving Cadillacs and bilking people. That's what they think. I hate when people find out I'm a preacher. Because I know the stereotype. And they also realize that whatever he says, he's polished, he's supposed to do, this is his job. I'm not sure that I trust him. But, but if it's somebody you know, they'll trust you. So you got to have the answer. So, be mindful. Keep it always ready. The, the, the words of the prophets and the commandments of the apostles because scoffers are coming and they're going to question why God hasn't come back. Verses 5 and 6 and 7 are pretty straightforward. Uh, even things like the flood. 
They, they, they willfully forget. They're walking after their own lust. People aren't questioning the Bible because the Bible is untrustworthy. People are questioning the Bible because they don't want to do what the Bible says. And, and, and that's just the honest truth. I've not seen anybody who takes authority and kind of twists it around who doesn't have an agenda. I've never met anybody who dismisses the idea of God unless they don't want to be accountable to God. I just don't find people honestly discrediting the Bible who don't have a reason for such. And that's what he says. They're going to come in verse 3, walking according to their lusts. And they're going to question everything. Why hasn't he come back again? And Peter's answer to that is, you know, God flooded the earth once. God destroyed it. They, they dismissed that. And, and in verse 7, he, he's going to do it again. So, number 2. He says then in verse 8, Beloved, do not forget this one thing. This is where the, the B thing breaks down. The old King James said, uh, Do not be ignorant of this one thing. And, and so the next reminder is that uh, God doesn't work the way that we work. Uh, if, if they're questioning the Lord's return, he, here's the answer. Uh, one day with the Lord's like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise. Just because it's been a long time since He's come doesn't mean that, that He's not going to come back. That's not a good argument. And the reason He says is, God's not subject to time like we are. You know, you, you come to services on Thursday evening at a gospel meeting. Are you tired? Just say yes, because I know you are. Because I am, and I haven't been working at your job every day. And it's hot outside, and, and, and it, it, it just, you get tired. And, and what do you say when you came in? How you doing today? Man, it's been a long day. No, it hasn't. It's been the same amount of hours yesterday was. But the reality is we can't get away from thinking in terms of time. Acts chapter 17, God appointed the boundaries of our habitation. We, we live in a world that, the, 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 that rotates in a certain way, that's in an orbit around the sun, and, and that's always been that way, and it will always be that way until the Lord destroys the world. And so we can't get away from sun up and sun down, from light and dark, from uh, hot and cold and the seasons. It's just the world we live in. But God doesn't live in that world, folks. I, I look back there at Allen, and I guess the last time that we saw each other was what, it's been three or four months, something like that. And that's the way we do that. Man, it's been a while. It's been a long time. And, and every now and then I'll see somebody I haven't seen for years. Man, it's been years. But, but when God looks at the world... He dwells outside of, of, of our universe. And so, you know, you think about fulfillment of prophecy, and how can God look off into the future? I have a hard time wrapping my head around this, but I believe this is an accurate statement. It's not the future to God. Because future for us is looking relative to now, what's going to come as the world revolves. But God's looking at... Okay, this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. And so I can say this here, knowing that this is happening here. He's not waiting for things to take place. And so when Peter says, the, one day with the Lord's like a thousand years, this is not code language so that we can interpret all Old Testament prophecies. All he's saying is, 
God doesn't measure time the way we measure time. So to us, yeah, it may be a long time since the flood and a long time since the Lord said He was going to come back again. But the reality is God doesn't measure it that way. He doesn't go, I'm going to give it 10 years. Now, He gives time measurements from time to time. You're going to be in captivity 70 years, uh, which probably is as much figurative as it is literal, representing the 490 years that they did not observe the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath year. Or he'll talk about uh, to Abraham, uh, in 400 years, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to destroy the, the, the uh, Amorites and you're going to take possession of the land. But I want you to remember what was going to happen before he let the children of Israel take the land of Canaan. It's when the iniquity of the Amorites is full. It's not, okay, I'm going to give them this much time. God's looking at different standards and that's what Peter says here. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise. You know, hey, I'll, I'll give you a call in a couple of weeks. Well, we don't do that. At least I don't do that. Uh, and, and, and then you say, well, you're negligent. You let too much time pass by. You forget about people. Peter's point is that's not the way that God works. He's not slack concerning promises like we are slack. What God's doing is He's giving people opportunities. He's long-suffering. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants us to do our work, which he's been talking about in both of these letters. He wants us to go do it well, and he's giving people opportunity to come to a knowledge of the truth. Every scoffer needs to have an answer given to him so at least they have the chance to put their faith in God. And so, the Lord's not slack. Don't be ignorant of that. Or as he says in the, the New King James Version, don't forget this. Those prophecies are still important. God has proven Himself. And the reason He hasn't come back yet, if you just have to have an answer, is because He's waiting for you. But He is coming back. The day of the Lord's coming. And this is one of those sections in the New Testament where we find out a few things about the second coming of Christ, about the end of the world. It's not going to be something that's announced. It's not going to be something that you can figure out by putting together 27 different Old Testament prophecies and calculating them uh, with a slide rule. It, the, the way it's going to happen is, is God's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to be ready for Him. And that's the point. That's where the imagery and the analogy is. But when it happens, you're not going to miss it. You know, this idea of, the, of, the, of this rapture, this silent thing, the Lord's going to come take His people and nobody's going to know it. That's not what the Bible teaches. When the Lord comes again, everybody's going to know it. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. I and mean, I mean, you get this in your head, what this is going to be like. I, I was sitting in my office one day and a transformer about a half a block from the building blew up. If you've ever been close to a transformer when it blew up, I mean, it shakes everything. Uh, I, I live in petrochemical industry country, and I've heard those plants. I've heard explosions of those plants every now and then. And it just shakes everything. And you want to know the first thought I had when that transformer went? The Lord's here. Because <laughs> it was just a noise you don't hear very often. And I half expected to walk out the door and look up and see the sky just not like it's supposed to be. Because that's what's going to happen. The, the, the heavens are passed away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in it are going to be burned up. And so Peter's question to us is, whose side are you on? What, what kind of person 
are you? Who, what country do you belong to? As I understand, this is a kind of an, uh, of an idiom that, that addresses the country of origin. What country do you belong to? But the way that it, that it translates to us is, you know, are, are you living in preparation for this? What kind of person are you really? Do, are you paying attention to the commandments of the apostles? Are you preparing yourself because you know the Lord's coming again? You don't know when it's going to happen, so you're going to be ready all of the time. What manner of persons should you be? Notice that he underscores the very thing that he's been underscoring in both letters. Holy conduct, living right, doing good, being the people that God tells us to be, adding to your faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love, loving one another fervently with a pure, a pure heart, growing in grace and knowledge, uh, being like children, desiring the sincere miracle of the Word, showing the praises of, of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. All of these things are wrapped up in these concepts. Holy conduct and godliness. Why? Because today might be the day. And I want to be on that side. That's the, that's the country I, I want to belong to. So I'm going to be ready. I don't care what the scoffers say. They don't understand God. We do. We have today. So, don't forget that. Number three, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. We talked a little bit about diligence last night. Giving all diligence add to your faith virtue. Be very diligent to make your calling and election sure. You remember that the concept is that of speed. Rush to do something because it's important to you. And that's the idea. We need to be working hard. He comes back to this over and over. And if you're not getting the repetition yet, then you're not listening because Peter just keeps piling it on. He keeps saying the same things over and over. You need to work hard to be found of him in peace. Uh, this is a wonderful concept. I wish we had the time. In Colossians chapter 3, when Paul's talking about the new man there, and, and he talks about the peace of God that should rule in our hearts. The idea is my relationship with God and making sure everything is okay with me and God is what keeps everything else in my life in its place. That, that's, what, that's what orders all of my priorities. And if you want to know what that looks like, uh, have a really good fight with your spouse. And, 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 and you, you want to know what happens to people who love each other when they have a really good fight? They can't wait to make things right again. I just want to make sure everything is okay with Tracy. And, and, and this is kind of the concept. Be, be diligent to be found in peace with God. When He comes, we want to make sure everything is okay without spot and blameless. And just remember, verse 15, that the long-suffering, He's waiting, He says, long-suffering is our salvation. Because we have time to fix things and we have time to grow like we're supposed to and we have time to become the spiritual house and we have time to prove ourselves the children of God. Every day that God doesn't come back is an opportunity for us to be ready and for to help other people be ready. You know, that's a lot more important than whatever your job demands tomorrow. A lot more important. But we don't think in those terms. But that's exactly what Peter's saying. He goes on, and I mentioned this a moment ago at the end of verse 15. He says, you know, Paul wrote about a lot of these things. And Paul does. Paul, 
Well, Paul, go read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2 and come explain all that to me. Uh, the son of perdition and all that good stuff that, uh, you know, Paul writes some things about the second coming that I, I don't get. I freely admit I don't get. I've read a lot of people who think they do get it. I still don't get it. And, and, and Peter says there's some things that are hard to be understood. And notice, notice what he says about that. People that are unstable and unlearned twist those things to their own destruction. We need to be careful about our study. We need to try to come to a good understanding. And the things that we don't understand, we need to be careful that we're not making things out of them and twisting them out of their context to try to make, make them teach things that we want them to say. You know, sometimes we just need to own up and say, I don't know. I'm working on that. Instead of taking a passage and forcing it into something we desperately want to believe. So Peter says, look, you know, Paul wrote about these things. We need to understand God is waiting for salvation. If you don't get anything else, get that. Be found of Him in peace. Don't become these people that twist the Scriptures and it just destroys them. And then he finishes in verse 17 by saying, therefore, notice again, another therefore. Beloved, since you know this, okay, what do we know? Doubters are coming. And, and we've got them all around us in our day and age. And they're going to question everything about God. And, and, and they're going to do so because of their own desires and because they don't like what God teaches. And, and they may even go so far as to question things that the New Testament makes fairly clear, like the, the return of the Lord. That's the example here. Scoffers are coming. What do you do? You, you bear in mind all the time the words of the prophets and the commandments of the apostles. And you don't forget this. You don't forget that the Lord doesn't measure things the way that we do, so don't put Him into a box of your making. Don't force Him into your perspectives. Appreciate that God doesn't look at judgment based on time. He looks at it as an opportunity to salvation. So, let's prepare ourselves. And as He says in verse 14, let's, let's be diligent. Let's look forward to the Lord's return. And so... Knowing these things beforehand, this is the this that we know beforehand. Beware. I know way too many people who know way too much Bible, who spent way too long serving the Lord, who walked away from faith. And you do too. And, and the warning here is to be watchful. That's what beware means. Be wary. Because you're susceptible. And so am I. And I'm going to tell you why we're susceptible. Because Satan is really, really good at what he does. Had we spent some time in 1 Peter chapter 5, one of the things that Peter talks about is preparing ourselves and resisting the devil. I don't think he throws that in accidentally. I, I think that all of the things we talked about this week it is key for us to remember that there is an adversary working against us who's doing everything he can to trip us up, to undermine our faith, to cause our suffering to make us question God, to cause us to rebel and resent authority that we find ourselves under, uh, to, to cause us to give in to false teaching or, or, or to, to, to lose our confidence in our God when people call into doubt the things that are fundamental to our life. And I've just seen a lot of people who didn't beware. They weren't watching. 
They weren't prepared. They hadn't sanctified the Lord God in their hearts. And when all this garbage comes along, they get swept up. So the last thing Peter says to these people is, look, since you know these things, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. What's the solution to that? Same solution he's been offering through both both letters. Grow. Grow in grace. Grow in an understanding of all that God has done for you. That's where we started in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at what God has done. Blessed be God. Grow in grace. Grow in knowledge. Why? Because that's where faith is. That's where our defense is. That's where growth is. That's where we find the promises of God. That's where we find all things that pertain to life and godliness. Folks, we can't be faithful to the Lord if we are not growing in our knowledge of the Word of God. As our brother prayed about, and I appreciate those emphasis tonight. So we're right back where we started. God is to be praised. Look at what He has done. Here's our reaction. Here's some problems that are coming. Here are things we need to emphasize. Here's some stuff we need to work on. Here's some dangers that we need to identify. And ultimately, no matter what anybody else says, when he is, considers that he's given ample opportunity for the world to come to salvation, the Lord's coming back. And, and, and the descriptions are really, really terrifying. And I find it very ironic that as Peter finishes this, he says, you're supposed to be looking forward to this. The heavens are, are, are dissolving. The earth is melting. Everything's burning up. Can you imagine walking out the door and seeing the end of the world? And, and, and Peter's, Peter's statement is, you need to be looking forward to this. And I think this very much draws on an Old Testament concept that you find... Uh, in a very pronounced way in, in some of the Old Testament prophecies, uh, this idea of the day of the Lord's coming. It's going to be a day of fire and smoke and darkness and the heavens will melt with fervent heat. But it's also a day of deliverance. And I think that's kind of what Peter's saying. Look, when God comes and destroys the world, you need to appreciate what that means. That's when God's people go home. So it's not something we should be afraid of unless we're not bearing in mind and being not ignorant and being diligent and being wary. May God help us when the trumpet sounds that we can walk outside excited for the greatest day in the history of mankind. Be there. Thanks for your attention. If you need to obey the gospel tonight, we could help you. We invite your response while we stand and sing.